sunlight hurts my eye And something without warning love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know WNHHFM 105 Just in Time Conversations. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, inviting you to be in community with us about ideas that matter and people making a difference. Today, our guest is Roger Sen- Senserik. Senserik. <laughs> no, no, no one really pronounces <laughs> it the right way, so don't worry. Of the Working Families Party. No, no, I. I uh thank you so much for joining us being on. I uh I always give people a hard time cuz my family just americanized my name. So I'm always just like how do I say it? So <laughs> Senseric. Hey. Thank you, thank you, thank you Roger for coming on. Um I guess before we get all into it, you know, what is Working Families Party? How did you get involved with Working Families Party? Mm-hmm. So the Working Families Party is the, an independent political party that wants to represent the multiracial working class. Mm. We are in, fully independent. Uh, we get our own ballot lines. We either endorse, cross-endorse, or even run or in, uh, Working Families on the only candidates in elections across the state, both, both municipal, state, uh, state, and federal elections. And we want to make uh, Connecticut a more fair, just uh, society. We want to end segregation. We want to close economic disparities. We want to make uh, sure that the wealthy pay what they owe us. Uh, so we actually have a government that serves everyone, not the few and the well-connected. And I got involved in working families. I joined in 2019 as a staff. I always had been a voter. I always had been interested as uh-huh. as as a group that actually represented the values that I that I want in politics, uh, that is not just the somewhat milko, uh, like middle of the road corporate Democrats that we usually get in Connecticut, mm-hmm. that talk nice and pretty about polit- uh, about justice and taxes and distribution, and then they don't deliver. And yes, I mean I've been fully <laughs> fully working for the party for. Oh. For years now, and and our idea or theory of change is that we want to make sure that Democrats feel the pressure from the left. That we actually they actually see that there is a big, strong constituent constituency of people that want action, not just words, and they actually want to make Connecticut the state that we claim to be. Sometimes, uh, because we claim to be this northern progressive state, but sometimes we don't deliver. So we want to make sure. Uh, to both rank candidates that are going to do that and hold them accountable. <laughs> so once they are in office, they actually pass the legislation that we need to uh, to get things going. God willing. <laughs> and, and so you have this independent party line. Um, how many working family 
candidates, people are there? So uh, on the last state elections, we endorsed 92 or 93 candidates. I don't remember the exact number. Okay. Mid-90s. Uh, that is, it's candidates that were running uh, for state office, both on the Democratic and the Working Families line. We also had a couple of Working Families candidates that were running just as Working Families candidates. Uh, at the local level, I lost, <laughs> I don't remember the exact numbers, but we actually ran people in Hamden. We ran mm. people here in New Haven. We, we have in Bridgeport, we have endorsed candidates across the state. And we were instrumental, for instance, we had the ballot line uh, on the 5th Congressional District, the Johanna Hayes race. And oh. actually, the margin of victory of that election was four votes. Uh, she actually won by a vote difference that was, sm like, smaller than the votes that we got. Oh. That she got on the Working Families ballot line. So, we we have been decisive, mobilizing voters and getting getting people to the polls and electing candidates that can, act uh, can actually make a difference. So I, you know, I, I have seen working families worked on different issues. Um, Y'all worked on paid family leave in the past. Uh, what are other monumental legislation that you know WFP has been involved with, or you know, really been champions of? So we have worked in several issues. We were a big part of the paid family leave campaign. Uh, Connecticut has one of the best, if not the best, paid family leave uh, programs in the, of any state. Uh, it passed in 2019, and we were basically the lead. And we had been working for passing that for many, many years. Uh, if you wanted to get your endorsement, you had to support paid family leave. We held Ned Lamont account. We actually like made sure that he said it aloud over and over again during our campaign to get the endorsement. Once uh, he got elected, we made sure to remind everyone that, hey, Ned, you promised this during the election, this has to pass. So paid family leave being one, probably the biggest policy win in recent days. But we uh, we were a big part of the first paid sick days uh, that the country had seen at the state level. Uh, we were part of the broader coalition that passed uh, raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Uh, we have been working in several pieces of legislation across the board, uh, basically moving the, uh, moving the agenda forward. Mm. And, and in terms of this year, what are the big issues that Working Families is working on? So the two, three main issues that we are working on, it's one... Uh, Basically, a recovery for all, uh, meaning we want the state to have a more equitable, less upside-down tax system, so we actually have the resources to invest in our communities, to make sure that... Uh, you want to take the cut out of Connecticut. <laughs> exactly. We want to make sure that we get out of this, anti, uh, this austerity mindset that we cannot afford anything, we cannot tax anyone. Uh, and we cannot provide services, uh, basically reverse that. And we have been working that on par as part of the uh, Recovery for All Coalition. We want to expand Husky uh, for immigrants. Uh, mm. Right now it only covers kids until, uh, up to 13 years old. We want to make uh, to make that be raised to 26. Uh, and probably your main priority and the thing that I've been <laughs> working the most, it's predictable scheduling, mm. is a bill that 
will make sure that businesses tell workers when they are going to have their next shift. Uh, this is something that sounds small, but it's not. Uh, so right now, if you're working part-time, uh, a business has no requirement to tell you your schedule in advance. They can call you, they can tell you, you're going to work 20 hours this week, I'm not going to tell you when, be on call. So you have to leave by your phone, basically expecting Am I going to get a call? Do I have to go to work today? Do I not have to? You don't know how much money you're going to make. You don't know if those 20 hours are real or not. You don't know when you need to scramble to find a babysitter or borrow a car or deal with a bus system. And we know how reliable buses are in this uh, in this state. Mm. Cancel a doctor appointment, not being able to go to school because you're in call. You don't have any kind of predictable schedule. And what the predictable scheduling bill does is essentially put a requirement to businesses that they need to tell workers their schedule at least two weeks in advance. Mm -hmm. And if they change the schedule with less than seven days notice, they need to compensate the worker, either by giving them an extra hour if they go, get called in at the last minute, or paying half of their wages if they cancel the shift. Because you can be counting, well, I'm going to be working 30 hours this week or 25 hours this week, I can make rent. I can pay, uh, I am going to pay this bill, I'm going to pay this bill, and I have this for groceries. All of a sudden, they cancel you to sh uh, two of your shifts. Instead of 25, you have 15 hours. What mm. you do, <laughs> how you cover those, 100, uh, those 150 to 100 bucks that you were counting on, and all of a sudden, you don't have. And you maybe already paid a babysitter, you already paid daycare, you already had like all these kinds of things that you were counting on that you were going to spend on, and you cannot do it. So this bill, we have been trying to... We started trying to get it passed before the pandemic that had to pause. We are back this year. We think that we have a really good chance of passing it. Uh, there is a lot of momentum uh, at the Capitol to get this legislation. And it's mostly because people realize that living, not just paycheck to paycheck, but week to week, hour to hour, not knowing how much money you're going to, uh, to be. It's not a way to respect workers or give, uh, or give people that want to move ahead any kind of a stability. Wow. For those of y'all who are just joining us, you're listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNH, WNHH 103.5 FM. Uh, I'm here with Roger Sinceric, uh, uh the Working Families Party. So we're, we're talking about a, a fair work week. When you say on call, you're not talking about like doctors, nurses. You're talking about just like someone who works at subway or someone who is at home depot so basically any job in connecticut you can be on call yes and the bill essentially uh, what we do is we want to protect the work uh this, these sectors of the economy that are doing this the most mm. and that it's the least justifiable to do it so basically fast food workers uh people that work in restaurant restaurant chains that have this kind of treatment constantly big box retail stores uh so this is endemic on retail uh target has been terrible at this home depot has been terrible at this there are quite a few big box stores that do this constantly to their workers hospitals uh hospitals hospitality sorry hotels uh hospitals is different you <laughs> it's justifiable that you're a doctor and you're there's <laughs> medical emergencies and then yes. there's fashion emergency yes <laughs> but if you're working for uh for you know for like uh 
for, uh, like, I don't know, any kind of fast fashion uh, chain like Zara or like H&M and all that. It's not, you should not be treated like you are an emergency worker. You are definitely not working on ER. You are selling clothes. <laughs> Your supervisor needs to respect a bit more. So tell chains and also long-term care workers because this is something that is happening quite often with long-term care facilities. Uh, oh, wow. We are, the people that take care of our seniors are not being treated in any way. Uh, mm. re uh, respectfully or, or like paying attention to their time or, or their needs. They are on call as well and this it's not justifiable especially in these facilities that have the resources to take care of that. So I, I have I, I was saying to you before we started I think one of the first things I went up to the Capitol to testify on was a fair work week and that had to be maybe five years ago now so what what is different about this bill than the bills from previous years? So a few things have, cha uh, have changed. Right now the bill will cover about 250,000 uh, workers, uh, mm. which is about the same, but we are covering different people. So we are only covering businesses that are, have more than 500 employees or restaurant chains that have more than 30 locations. Because one of the things that we realized and uh, what research shows and data tells us is that the small businesses are not doing this. This kind of erratic scheduling, like if your local diner, your local restaurant, like small mom and pop shops, usually don't have that many workers, mm -hmm. like the managers know everyone, and they know they cannot mistreat workers like this because they are going to leave. They don't have the, this is something that happens in big companies that have like this kind of automated software that does the scheduling for them and doesn't look at the faces of workers, so to say. So the bill as it is now, it covers more workers, it covers uh, long-term care workers, something that didn't happen before, but it's more focused on the worst actors. In the big companies that are actually using automated software and automatic MBA-like, like this is like the kind of stuff that MBAs like to optimize cost. Well, the only thing that they are doing is basically pushing risk and pushing all the pain of someone making a mistake on the company to the people that are the most vulnerable. Thanks. No, that, 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 it's unconscionable to think that, you know, you could go to work and then, you know, so I've heard stories of people going to work, right? Having an hour or two of work and then being sent home. And I'm just like, what? Hold on. Like you had an eight hour shift, you worked two hours and then you were like, oh, we don't need you anymore. So in theory, this bill would cover that for some workers. Yeah. If that happens, the bill will make that if you had an eight hour shift, you only work two, those six hours, you'll, you'll get paid three. Mm. You are not going to pay the full thing, but you are going to get some compensation, uh, you know. It's not your fault that your manager screwed up and did uh, and scheduled hours that they were not needed. So, but you should be compensated. You showed up. You did. Uh, you did a trek. You commuted. You found a babysitter. You actually arranged your life across not being available that day. So you should take some. You should get some sort of compensation for that cancellation. And this happens quite often. Too. This is not something that uh, we have good numbers. There is this. Uh, there is a whole team at Harvard called the Shift Project that does research on this. Oh, 
And about 75% of workers that are part-time in Connecticut uh, want to have more predictable schedules. Mm -hmm. Like this is something that happens constantly. Workers that are part-time in the state are constantly being shifted around. A quarter of them are literally on call. They don't have a fixed schedule at all. They have to live by their cell phone. This is a lot of people that literally cannot have a life because they have to war, uh, they have to be absolutely pending of that one job that they have. And good luck trying to get two jobs. I mean, I have two part-time jobs. I'm trying to, you know, haggle to, uh, two incomes to actually make ends meet or I have this part-time job and I am going to community college to, you know, to get uh, a degree or get some professional accreditation or something like that. Good luck with that if you don't have a fixed schedule. Wow, I, I'm horrible at math, but I did the math in my head. I'm like, that's about a little over 50,000 people, 55, 57,000 people. That's like any, that's one of the top 10 cities in the state. Like in almost any of those communities, just everyone would be a part-time worker. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah, no, it's a lot of people. And it's, we talk about 250,000 workers that live and that will be covered under uh, that bill. They have families. Like, the thing that it's, so the thing that it's the most stressful, and a lot of the research shows that, is that this has an impact both on the mental health of the workers and their kids. Because think how stressful it is for a child, not knowing if mom or dad are going to be there to put me uh, to bed. Like, every single day of the week being, a different like who's going to pick me up uh, from school who's going to take me to soccer practice who's going to do this who's going to do that parents don't know that schedule they are not going to they are not able to do that they are constantly shifting and working around and there is really good research that shows that kids that have parents that have unpredictable schedules do worse in the school and act up more uh, they are more likely to have like angry reactions at the school. They are mm. more uh, more likely to misbehave because they live with this stress. This is a, uh, this is this lack of stability. It's something that plays a crazy mental burden on parents. And there is a lot of research as well showing that stress levels for people with predictable scheduling are much higher, and they have a much harder uh, time making ends meet, even if they are making the same money. Uh, same same amount of wages working the same am- amount of hours with someone with predictable scheduling and we talk, uh, can talk about that but the impact on the kids of the people around them, uh, around them it's really really hard so it's not just the 250,000 workers it's everyone around them too. Mm. for those of y'all who are just joining us again you're listening to Just In Time Conversations WNHH FM 103.5 I'm your host Justin Farmer with Roger Sinceric of working families party um what happens to a uh as we talk about this fair work week what happens to a person if they say you know what i i have a dentist appointment or i you know i gotta go pick up grandma i'm not coming in what happens to the person so what we've heard from workers and this is both born by studies and from what people that have testified in support of the bill, people that have written op-eds, letters to the editor, we have been getting lots of stories about workers that are impacted, is that once you you tell that to a manager, you're usually started to be considered unreliable. Meaning Mm -hmm. that, you know, 
this person is not committed enough, they have other things, they don't have the mind on the job, and they are less likely to be called. So what happens, and it may be conscious or unconscious, I mean, managers are not necessarily terrible people, but they have their own biases. Once they call someone and that person will not be there, next time that they have extra hours, they might not think about it. They might think that, well, he already had something last week, and going to go next on the line. So you get retaliation. You get uh, you get these once you start not being seen as reliable, you start working less. You start getting the worst shifts because you are the last on the line to ask anything. And this has been systematic. This is something that impacts any person that is there. And it's what adds to the stress. It's like you cannot, you have this sense, you have this feeling that you, you cannot fail uh, to your supervisor or the people that are doing the work. Wow. That, uh... And from a working family's perspective, too, when workers are trying to unionize in a place, the first thing that managers do, uh, and this we, l we heard a lot about uh, from Starbucks workers, uh, Amazon workers, is that once someone is trying to organize, they start getting the worst shifts possible. And they start getting their schedule changed constantly. This is a way to discipline workers as well. If someone mm -hmm. is getting a bit too, you know, aware and it's trying to organize and it's talking about unionization, that person is going to start getting their schedule shirked off around constantly. Uh, so it's a tool. It's a tool of control to workers. It's not just a source of stress. It's a way that supervisors can use and act at, uh, and big companies, especially like the Starbucks of the world, people that are really hostile to having any kind of organizing at their, work, uh, at their workplace. They can use that to sabotage that, to actually push workers around. That, you know, I think the two things that I took out of that was that, one, a person can end up being disciplined for missing shifts. And then two, in the case of this bill, these are all companies that have the money where they could probably just hire the people full time. <laughs> So the most fascinating thing about this bill, by the way, is that once companies start giving stable schedules, they do better. Uh, mm -hmm. Like famously, uh, just before the pandemic in 2015, 2016, the Gap decided to do a pilot on a few of their stores. I think it was 16 or 18 stores. And they basically, what they did is to the workers there, they were going to give them predictable schedules two weeks in advance, uh, not changes, basically giving them something similar not uh, to what this bill wants to do. What they found out is that workers were immediately more productive. Uh, sales per store went up significantly, like 7 8% per store, which it's something that you don't see in retail. <laughs> Turnover went down dramatically. People showed up on time, so they actually ended up paying less overtime, they actually ended up saving money, and workers were much happier uh, to the point that, you know, they were much like uh, much less likely to leave. You have a lot of these big uh, big retail chains that have a staff turnover over 100% over a year. They replace the whole, uh, the whole staff because people are constantly leaving. The Gap saw that they were reducing staff turnover, that they were saving a lot of money, not having to constantly hire people and train them. So after having that pilot running for a few months, they decided to extend it company-wide. Another company that it's, you're never going to hear someone like me talk 
well about this company, but in this case, they do well. Walmart. Walmart did a similar pilot in a few stores. Their predictable scheduling policies are not definitely not as good as the bill that we are proposing, but they are much better than any other big box store. And they, after trying the pilot for a few months, staff turnover went down. They were retraining people much less often. People were showing up on time. Sales went up. Stores were better managed. They extended that company-wide, too. So once companies do this, like workers like being treated well. Uh, it's not something that requires additional pay. You just need to treat the worker with some respect, respecting their time, respecting their lives. Once they start doing this, companies do better. It's just that they have a lot of big corporations have this MBA mentality that I'm just going to penny pinch and save and optimize and having like work, use workers like they were just any other widget. And decide that jerking, <laughs> jerking around workers and actively mistreating them, it's a good company policy. It's not. And we see big corporations that when they do that, they start making more money, which it's like surprising for if you come from an MBA mentality, but completely understandable if you have ever worked in, in one of these stores. Well, I, I, I'm just, I'm still stuck in my head with the gap, fill the gap, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I, 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 how, this sounds like common sense. So, how come this bill hasn't passed yet? <laughs> so, part of the reason is that businesses fear change. Uh, they, I mean, if you're a manager, if you if you're running a restaurant, if you're running uh, one of these stores, you only see the savings that you have immediately in front of you, uh, and you sort of it's hard for you to take the bet that I, if I start doing this, I'm going to be saving money of things that I'm not seeing yet. So this is one big reason. The other reason as well is that companies like having this as a tool, of, uh, as a discipline tool sometimes. Uh, like some, there are quite a few companies that are actively anti-worker. Uh, Walmart mm. is usually actively anti-worker. In this case, it pays, uh, like it's better for them to do this, but you know, if you're trying to bust a union in your company, this is a good tool to have. Like just being a completely terrible employer with your scheduling. Mm. It's actually something that helps uh, bust any kind of organizing. And there is, especially like some of the pushback that we are seeing at franchise restaurants. Uh, a lot of McDonald's, uh, Burger King's, Wendy's, uh, Subway's are not owned directly by the corporation. They are franchises. They are owned by... Uh, and something close to a contractor that runs part of the chain. And they don't see themselves as a big corporation, even if they are using the labor practices, the software scheduling, uh, the scheduling software, the training, the hiring methods, the hiring website of the big corporation. Uh, so they have been pushing back against the bill, saying that, well, we are not a big company. You cannot treat us like, uh, like one. The thing is, they are a franchise. They are not an independent or small business. So they definitely need to be treated as such because they are actually you know you don't know if you work to a mcdonald's franchise you don't work for like michael jones who owns a little franchise you work for mcdonald's <laughs> you are working for a mcdonald's you're not thinking franchise so they should be covered by uh by the bill but this is one of the pushback uh one of the sources of pushback that we are getting it's people that are not really understanding that this is actually not something that it's going to hurt business the same way that the eight hour week 
or overtime pay or raising the minimum wage didn't hurt business at all. Uh, like not once you start children exactly not having child labor. I thought Republicans in some states are passing child labor uh, bills again, which is insane. But you know, it's one of those things that it's it's just respecting workers in a way that it's meaningful and uh, understandable, and workers actually just living with less stress, um, the less not having to completely rethink their lives every week, you know. She'll, she, it's something that should make sense, but for some uh, managers and company owners, doesn't seem to. What? So the companies make sense. I, I'm still like the legislators. Where, like, where's their mindset? And then I guess the the second question to that is. Where is this bill this year in the process? Like, what's the bill number? Where is it? What committees does it have to go through? So the bill is HB 6859. Uh, it just was voted out of the Labor Committee. Uh, yeah. Going to go to the floor now, probably refer to judiciary because it has some enforcement provisions that need to be revised in that committee, but then to the House floor. Uh, what we are hearing from legislators is that, and this is this is... This is what happens with all, uh, with quite a few bills that affect the small businesses. They get an earful from, you know, small businesses in their in their district. They get less calls from workers. So one big thing that we are doing is actually encourage people to call their legislators. You know, if you have been impacted by this, if you have lived under this kind of scheduling in the past or now, give a call to your legislators and tell them your story. Uh, write a letter to the editor. Uh, you know, basically make sure that they hear uh, from our side, from the side of workers, instead of just their local Dunkin' Donuts franchise that gives them an earful every time that they go get coffee. Uh, coffee. From what we ha- have been hearing, though, legislators this year seem to be more receptive. And it's mostly because after the pandemic, we had all that talk about essential workers and <laughs> how important they were and all that. And there is a realization uh, at the Capitol amongst many legislators that, well, they're respect- actually essential. Yes. <laughs> Appreciating them and saying nice things about them, it's one thing. But, you know, <laughs> there is need to be some action with this. And we have, there is good data as well showing that this has not gotten better since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, companies are doing exactly the same kind of crappy treatment of their workers uh, now that they were doing before. Uh, so there, uh, there is a sense in the building, I think, that they are starting to understand that this makes sense. And Governor Lamont hasn't spoken about this in public, but for what we gather, he's broadly supportive as well. We need to see, we are still talking, we need to see more uh, on where the bill goes. But I think that there is a sense, a deep sense of empathy with how these workers live, how, like, it's how hard it is to build your life when you don't have any kind of stability. Like a shop is supposed to give you a foundation. It's supposed to be like the place where you build things over. If that foundation is constantly moving around and you literally don't know what kind of wage you're going to get out of it, it's impossible. Uh, it's, it's really impossible to move ahead. So I think that uh, in the building there is a uh, this, uh, growing sense that this matters and this is something that workers need. And again, it's something that it has been implemented in other places. Seattle has it. New York City has it. Chicago mm-hmm. has it. Uh, 
Seattle is not a small. New York City is not a small. And there has not, uh, the impact there in businesses has been clearly not negative. Uh, the opposite, actually. In Seattle, most business owners seem to be, it took a couple of weeks to adapt. After that, hey, workers work, uh, seem to like it. It's like it became second nature to them. Same in New York City. Same in, uh, same in Philly, every place that has uh, has been adopted. So all the fears we we all every time that there is a progressive bill like this we always get these kind of big fears like once paid sick days pass people are going to be calling sick no one is going to show up to work ever again paid family leave people are going to pretend to be sick and like taking like 12 week break uh vacations just pretending that they have a disability uh that doesn't happen uh people actually <laughs> want to work people actually want to provide for their families people actually what we want is to make sure that they are respected at their workplace, that work is appreciated and that we yeah, it provides the stability they need. So I think that there is a sense that these, the scare tactics about how every single like <laughs> way, the, any single thing that we do to treat workers better uh, is this huge apocalyptic cost of business. It's, it's misguided. Uh, and we have, we have the sense that this year the bill will make. Uh, we, we, we believe that we have the support. Y'all are listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNHHFM 103.5. I'm your host, Justin Farmer, with Rogers and Sirik of the Working Families Party. Um, you know, you just broke down why it should just be common sense, right? Like, industry-wise, seems to lift sales. It seems to help the social emotional aspect in, in family dynamics it allows for better productivity it allows for predictability um you know i was thinking to myself as you were talking if i want to go on vacation i have to give notice and i have to give a decent amount of notice ahead of time and it has to be approved for me to go on vacation so I'm just like, how do we have a system like that, but then a separate system where, you know, people don't get to choose how they show up to work, right? Or if they want to show up to work, the opportunity to work and make a wage can be stolen from them. That, that, that is crazy. So how, how do we support this bill? How do people support this bill? What? support i know you mentioned people calling but what what support could be used to help this bill so the one thing that really moves legislators here is just telling your story uh legislators we can give them as much data as we want we can give and there is mountains of data uh, <laughs> i mean and and there is a lot of the data that it's really relevant and really shocking and really like obvious like People sleep better at night, and there is research on that, just when they have predictable schedules, things like that. Uh, but there is only that far that we can get with this kind of, uh, of talking points. What really moves it is that I work, uh, it's, it's if a legislator gets a call, or when they have a town hall, uh, or they're interacting with people, uh, they have someone telling them, hey, I work at McDonald's, I don't know when it's my next shift is going to be. I am struggling to, uh, like, 
I don't have a babysitter. What should I do? <laughs> like these kind of stories, this kind of direct lived experience, it's what really, really moves legislators. And same for the businesses that do well. Like one of the one of the people that testified at the hearing a couple of weeks ago was someone that runs a restaurant. And he testified that I provide two weeks notice to my workers because I know that if I don't do that, they are going to move next door. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's just not the decent, uh, it's not just the decent way to do it, uh, thing to do. It's what serves me as a business. So stories from both sides are incredibly helpful, are incredibly powerful because it, it makes clear to legislators that this is something that it's harmless. <laughs> like it's not really going to harm the small businesses. And, but more importantly, it makes clear that not doing this has a real clear and we know, like, one of the things that we know, and this is why we pass regulations about the labor market, is that when we are working, like, there is a power imbalance. It's not like a one-to-one relationship. Like, the <laughs> worker needs to work much more than the company needs the employee. They're not worker co-ops? No. <laughs> no. So they, they are going, we need to protect the vulnerable part of this. And companies are going to do anything they can to actually get you know, push down on that imbalance so they, uh, they they can underpay workers and they can actually maximize profits by not treating workers as well as they deserve. So making clear that we need this, that we need uh, these protections, it's incredibly useful. We have, uh, I mean, people can email us if they want to share their story, if they want to help writing an op-ed. We have a website, uh, cityfairwarweek.com org or com i don't remember now <laughs> just uh where we can uh where they can share their story and we'll contact them uh we'll reach out to them and help them call uh their legislators uh we have a letter campaign as well uh, it's linked on the website uh, so basically any way that they can reach out to legislators any way that they can share a story with us uh with lawmakers with the governor uh the bill has to go to governor at some point, so definitely it's something that uh, that he needs to hear about. It's incredibly important, and it's incredibly important because it puts this front and center. This is something that workers need. Uh, you need the stability. Uh, you cannot move ahead if you don't have it. So let's make clear that legislators understand it. We, we, we've talked a lot about, you know, uh, people in, you know, retail and, and people in food service you mentioned nurses uh, at these uh, uh, elderly care facilities, and so can you, you know, speak more to that? Because I, I can see a medical emergency, but how I, I could also see the potentiality of how unfair scheduling could cause issues. So, just for the viewers. What, what does that problem look like? So one of the problems that a lot of those facilities, I mean, those facilities are already often understaffed mm-hmm. because the industry keeps telling us they are not finding people. Uh, they, it's really hard to hire new workers. A big part of why they are not finding people is because... Pay. One, pay. And <laughs> second, work conditions are dreadful. They literally don't have any kind of advance notice sometimes on when they are going to be needed, when they need to show up, what kind of shift they have. And shifts on that industry are not nine to five. 
<laughs> you might have like a night shift, you might have a early, early morning shift. So having an industry that is based on this kind of care, you need workers uh, there at all times. And at the same time, those workers not knowing when they are going to show up, of course they are not going to, uh, they are having trouble finding workers. And what quite a few people in the industry say is that, well, they may get emergencies, they may get sudden spikes of, uh, of demand and all that. It's like, well, what happens now is that every time that there is something unexpected, the burden of responding to that falls only on the workers. So if you have a facility that has like a complete skeleton crew that cannot, you don't have any uh, enough workers to respond to any kind of unexpected uh, thing happening there, you know, having something understaffed and then having, you're putting all the burden of an emergency on the workers and that poor person that has to wake up at three in the morning and rush to work because they got a, a late call or someone that, you know, got a cancellation uh, last minute, they have to find someone to uh, to keep with the staff in gracious. Let's make sure that, you know, in case there is something unexpected, that the burden of that emergency and the cost of that, it's not just falling on the worker. It also falls on the employer. Yeah. It's, it's just not fair at all that every time that there is a risk involved in a company, heads, you know, Company wins, tails. Mm. Company wins as well because it's a worker <laughs> that is eating the cost. It's not supposed to work like that. No, I, I shout out to all the CNNs, uh, nurses, aides, registered nurses, living assistants, uh, my mom. <laughs> uh, I, 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 you know, thank you for sharing, you know, uh, uh, why this is so important. For those of y'all who have just joined us, you're listening to Just In Time Conversations, WNH, HH, FM, 103.5. I'm your host, Justin Farmer. Our guest, Rod, Roger Sincera. Uh, you know, any last thoughts on what, you know, uh, 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 you talked briefly about it, but uh, about, you know, um, it's slipping my mind. The uh, uh, fair taxation. What was the uh, terminology y'all are using? So one of the things uh, that we are working on is that Connecticut tax system is upside down. Uh, mm. The more money you make, the smaller share of your income you pay. This is this has been going on for years. It's mostly driven because we are really dependent on sales and property taxes and the wealthier your town is the lower your property tax tends to be and sales tax you know greenwich 11 yes hamden 56 exactly uh we have a system set up that we have these pockets of extreme wealth in connecticut that pay really low taxes it's like this kind of tax heaven of mac mansions so actually having you can compensate with uh, that by raising income taxes on people that make the most. Uh, we, or millionaires and billionaires, are under tax compared to Washington, uh, to, to New York, compared to Massachusetts, compared to other progressive states. Let's raise the rates to those at the top and let's do something to fix this property tax system, for instance, or make sales tax on more essential products uh, disappear. Basically, work. Oh, extend the child tax credit or uh, the earned income tax credit to more workers. Basically, do all, all the kinds uh, of policies that we can do to actually 
make our tax and spend system in the state more uh, more fair. Another thing that we are working, by the way, that I really want to mention is that predictable scheduling, it's part of a broader equity, uh, workers' equity agenda that we are working with many other people. And there are two bills that are really, really, three bills actually, that are really significant that work together with this. Mm. One will be uh, one fair wage. Uh, we have a $15 minimum wage for most workers in the state, not for all of them. Deep mm. workers have a much, much lower wage in Connecticut. This is incredibly unfair. Uh, it's completely ridiculous that if you work as, uh, as a server in a restaurant, you really don't know how much money you're going to make. You're completely dependent on the tips. It leads to rampant wage theft. It leads to, uh, to tons of issues uh, in the industry. So we can raise the minimum wage for tip workers to 15. Still letting tips. Uh, if you want to tip your server, you can still tip your server. But let's give them the stability, not depend on this completely bonkers uh, tip credit system that it's we have to just mass confusion and let ends up with many many people not getting a minimum wage we had the drivers union here a couple of weeks ago and showing tips as low as two dollars making two dollars because mm -hmm. just like what that's another bill that we are supporting actually uh the delivery uh uber uh uber delivery uh delivery service uh driver's bill because they are consistently being underpaid by their companies. And finally, extending paid sick days, too. Yeah. Uh, we were the first state to pass paid sick days. Uh, but right now, our bill is a bit obsolete. It doesn't cover that many workers. Mm. It has really strict thresholds on which companies are covered when you start getting covered with paid sick days. Most companies offer paid sick days now because they need to, uh, because they know that they have this backstop. But make, let's make sure that everyone has the same protection, the same coverage. And then, again, you're not dependent, uh, like many workers are, on, well, this is what the company offers. It might change at any time. Let's make this, uh, this a full ride that it's the same for everyone in the state. Well, I, I appreciate you. My favorite thing I always ask people uh, as we come to end is what's a favorite song or a song that makes you think of the work that you're talking about? Oh, God. I've been... <laughs> so I actually have been listening a lot to Lord Huron, that it's probably like the whitest man in the, <laughs> in the planet, but it's a really... Their last couple of albums, it's really, really good. And I have my phone here. Uh, there was this another, like, wonderful new artist... I'm trouble with names, so I, I need to cheat. <laughs> uh, what's her name? Uh, so it's an album that ja I ja it's called Sunny War. Uh, hey. The album it's called Anarchist Gospel, and of course my phone decided to play it. <laughs> and it, she's wonderful. She has hey. like an incredible voice. She has like a, a really really great artist that completely discovered by chance. So this has been like the two things that I have been really listening to a lot lately. Hey, well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Roger, for joining us on WNH, WNHH FM 103.5, Just In Time Conversations. Um, I'm your host, Justin Farmer. Looking forward to connecting with y'all and continuing to plant the seeds of change. Next week, we have... Uh, uh, Claudine Constant of the ACLU uh, talking about uh, deceptive 
uh, interviewing tactics. So until next time, see y'all soon. Why?